The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks he could have beaten the Bulldogs because Bulldogs are slow and maybe shouldn't even exist. Don't want to offend Bulldog owners. I had an Dominique. English Bulldog. Yeah, you did. We've talked about this. How long did you last? Oh, um, RIP uh, last night's game. Um, yeah, I, I made it to the third quarter about the end. I think I made it to the beginning of the fourth. I saw I saw them pull Stetson. That was in the beginning of the fourth, right? When they actually pulled Stetson Bennett. I I was gone by then. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it just was on. I'm out of town, so I'm in a hotel. So it's just it was on. Uh, it was a shellacking. Do you think before we get started today, any of this week's wild card games could? I don't think any of them will approach that level of shellacking. I guess it uh, it's really contingent on if Lamar Jackson doesn't play or if Tua yep. doesn't play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's that's it. The Dolphins is the scarier one as far as blowout potential is concerned because that offense uh, seems to really need Tua and uh, the defense isn't as good as the Ravens' defense has been recently. Yeah, yeah. so um, but I guess yeah, the, the Ravens Bengals, yeah. played the Bengals sort of close with Anthony Brown. Yeah. I mean, they lost. Anthony Brown was turning it over, but he's not even Tyler Huntley. So. Yeah. I think if you watch that game, you recognize that the Ravens played okay, pretty well, actually. But, like, the fall off from Lamar to Anthony Brown, like, more, in my view, more than made up in the point differential. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was like, wow, that's a big it's a big gap. We're not going to talk about that game today. I'm going to do a full wild card preview later this week. Um, we are going to talk about some winners and losers from week 18 to kind of wrap the season. But first I wanted to talk to you about the coaching carousel. Um, so we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. There could be more news. There could be more coaches departing. There could be, um, you know, more coaching interviews, but I figured we should start with the things that we do know, uh, which is that there are a number of openings now of course, Denver having parted ways with Nathaniel Hackett earlier in the season is one. Um, Indianapolis, Frank Reich, Jeff Saturday's been the interim coach. And then Carolina, Steve Wilkes has been the interim coach. I want to talk about that in a bit. All of those jobs are open. Uh, but then a couple of other ones that opened up. The Texans fired Lovey Smith. I want to talk about that. But I want to start with uh, Arizona uh, parting ways with Cliff Kingsbury. This was only surprising insofar as... They gave both Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime those huge extensions last offseason, which has to go back down as like one of the worst contractual decisions of all time. Um, so if not for that extension, this would have been a no-brainer, I think, given Cliff's track record in Arizona. You were dubious of the hire when they made it. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody was dubious yeah. of the hire. Everyone with sense was dubious of the hire when it was made. It was, I mean... I guess the Jeff Saturday hire is a slightly more shocking hire than Cliff Kingsbury because at it was least interim, Cliff, yeah, yeah, it was interim. That's fair. Um, so less shocking now. It was a wild decision given his track record in college. He was not even 
good enough to be. Well, we don't have to rehash all that. The fact yeah. of the matter is, I'm not surprised that they're moving on. I was a bit shocked that I think uh, Michael Bid- Bidwell said that Kyler Murray would be involved in some capacity in the hiring of the next coach, which is just, I don't know. It's interesting. Prompted many, many excellent jokes about <laughs> Kyler Murray hiring from like the phase, like esports jokes, basically. Um, <laughs> gamers being hired. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is an interesting spot. It's a complicated spot because, especially with the GM gone, I, 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 you know, uh, Steve kind of stepped down for health-related reasons. But uh, you know, I've been pretty critical of his tenure in Arizona. Some of the decisions that they've made. So you've got a team that is tied to a quarterback who has played at a high level, did not play at a high level this year, and then of course having torn his ACL is not going to play in through at least I believe October. So, and then you don't have a GM or a head coach. So I think that's the tricky part is kind of like, what's the right order to do things here? Usually it it seems to work out well for organizations when they're able to do it in lockstep, when they're finding a GM and head coach who can work together. But this is a tricky spot. Um, You know, it's a roster with a lot of issues. So I'm not sure, Dominique, what's the right move for them? What's the right kind of coach for this organization? Yeah, a good one. <laughs> like they're they're not in a position where I think that they should be looking like, man, we need this type of coach. We need that type of coach. We need to get the best out of Kyler Murray. Like I'm not sure that's the thought process that they should be looking for or we need to address this defense. I actually think going defensive minded for a head coach might be wise considering how interesting I think the collection of players they have on defense is and like how much they have invested in that side of the ball. Like I'd be, I'd be pretty, if I were Bidwell and I was considering uh, making a hire, I'd be pretty, um, I don't know, engaged if a coach came in with like some elaborate plan or not even elaborate, but like a cohesive plan for Mm. how to best optimize their collection of like, incredible athletes on defense and and then like Kyler Murray we'll figure that out but that that would intrigue me it's a defense that yeah they they have like a lot of kind of jack of all trades type players but uh no edge rushers really JJ Watts retiring cornerback is a question I mean there there's so many issues on that side of the ball I think they are. They they did report they're going to interview Vance Joseph, who's been their defensive coordinator for a while now, and has done a reasonable job with I think some you know major holes with talent. But yeah, it, if this feels like I don't know, part of me is like you want someone who's like a program builder, but we've seen teams fail in that regard. I, I just want to say. I feel like I have no ability to project he's going to be a good head coach in the NFL. Um, it is interesting that looking at the playoff field, there are a lot of coaches hired this last offseason with teams in the playoffs. Kevin O'Connell, Minnesota, Doug Peterson, who we already knew you know, had a proven record, Brian Dable in New York, who approached it, I think, in, in an interesting way because he kind of played more of that CEO. He, you know, he's not calling plays in New York. and But again, like who knew that any of these guys, I mean, I think that you can point to track records on certain sides of the ball, but for the most part, it's pretty hard to project. Yeah, we've had these conversations plenty of time, but it's almost impossible to project who's going to be a good head coach for a number of reasons. There's so many variables that we don't take into account. And I think because we exist in the world of sports where 
it's a lot easier to understand um, what a position will need because we think about positions as like players and you're like, all right, cornerbacks need to be fast and quick and whatever. Like when you do that for coaches, there's so many different ways to lead a team. To coach a team, you can be heavily involved on one side of the ball or the other. You can be completely, like, um, overseeing kind of like what Mike McCarthy, I guess, is doing right now in, um, in, in Dallas. And also, there really is uh, no training for being a head coach. And so we normally hire, like, the whoever is a great coordinator. But being a coordinator is very different. Like, the job requirements yeah. are very different from being a head coach. So, like, it's kind of impossible to to know who's going to do the job well one because they haven't done the job yet and two because you don't exactly know how the job is going to like I played for two really good coaches Mike Shanahan and John Harbaugh incredibly different like Mike Shanahan is like offensive uh kind of like innovator all hands on deck on offense all the time and John Harbaugh was kind of more of a, a kind of hands-off type of head coach, more of a manage the game rather than, like, game plan. So, I don't know. It's hard to figure out what your team needs, and it's hard to figure out what kind of coach the coach is going to be until you actually see it in action. It does seem like a lot of the best head coaches in the NFL do tend to fall into that latter category, the John yeah. Harbaugh category. You look at John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, um, you know, Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, guys who have been doing this really well for a long time. I mean, obviously they have their hands, uh, and, and especially Pete Carroll and Belichick on the defense. But um, you know, they, they they seem to be good managers above all else. That seems more flexible to me. Is like that's that's part of it. Why I think sometimes you can get a big boom out of a guy if you bring him in if he's a, a specialist on one side mm. of the ball. It's possible you could get that, but I think it's more sustainable to have uh, someone who is kind of more CEO style. I, I will say, I think when there's a, when you have a coordinator who's just dominant at doing what he does, that's really Kyle. appealing. Or D'Amico Ryans, who I, yeah. I have to think everybody in the NFL has number one on their list right now, just because that defense has been so dominant. It's gotten the most out of different types of players with different pedigrees. And by all accounts, he seems beloved, respected by his players. So he seems to have all of the qualities that make it a slam dunk hire, which you never want to say something is, you know, a slam dunk. But if I had to point to a coach in the league, that seems like the obvious one. Yeah, I like that also. And one thing, they they make very few mistakes. And I, I know they have smart players, but all of them players ain't smart. Some of those players are being coached well <laughs> is what it comes down to. And I, I, I noticed that I think that is one thing that translates is like that communication. And, and re- the few mistakes, I think, is a result of communication and buy in. And the uh, yeah, that's just generally something I've learned as I've gotten older as like a, a loud mouth kind of know it all person is that a lot what's a lot more useful is buy-in rather than like good ideas is like actually having people believe in what they're doing so that actually brings me back to one thing about the cliff kingsbury firing that i did want to ask you about you know now the track record of college coaches in the nfl is pretty dismal over the last 10 15 years which is funny because jim harbaugh you know is back in the mix um 
and Jim Harbaugh was one of the few success stories uh, from college to the NFL. Now, I think it, it's almost like a unfair for Cliff to stand in for college because he is so was so much less successful at the college level than most of the guys who are considered for these positions. But, you know, when you look at Matt Rule, for example, in Carolina, who was at that kind of program builder reputation, turned around things uh, in college and then sort of crapped out in the NFL. I have to say, it does seem pretty undeniable that it's a very different skill set, which is not to say that a college coach couldn't be successful in the NFL, but it seems like maybe it would be wise for teams to consider college coaches as coordinators first and not head coaches, because something about that leap from managing a group of, you know, student athletes and, and running that kind of program, which is, of course, entirely different, doesn't seem to immediately translate to NFL success. Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious reasons anybody who's listening to this can like knows all the obvious reasons why um, trying to manage a bunch of young kids, frankly, that are there's the turnover is so regular and the power is I guess is balancing out some now with NIL. Um, but the power is so much in the coach's favor that then when you get to the league, figuring things out and the talent discrepancy. Part of the reason why guys have success, long-term success in college is, yeah, you can build a program, but once you got a program humming, you ain't got to out-scheme nobody. <laughs> you got five stars, they don't. We saw it last night in, yes. the, in the championship game. But when you get to the NFL, like even if you are a more talented team, the talent discrepancy between the best team in football and the worst team in football in the NFL is, is very small. And, it, and you're coaching and um, – scheming and coordinating and in-game management and like all that stuff is so much different than in the college game when the clock stops after every first down and you're not going to be in a ton of close games because you're just so much better. All that stuff is different in the league. Which certainly played out in Arizona where you had a coach, Cliff Kingsbury, who's, we've talked about this many times, offensive scheme was predicated on a talent advantage. Um, (laughs) And then when you saw you know, Jenga pieces being taken out of that tower. It was so many different injuries over the years. Uh, just a failure to make adjustments, I think, uh, and and play to the skills of the players he did have. So anyways, that's a, that's a tough job. I would argue, though, it's probably more desirable than the Texans' job, which is the other one I want to talk to you about. Um, this is... This is... Okay, so there, there's a lot going on here. So... this is i want to have like i want to address kind of all sides of this because what happened there's so many things that happened the texans are poised for the number one overall pick they win their final game they not only they, they don't just win it they win it in close fashion in effortful fashion that it had to be infuriating to their fans because it took them out of the pole position to pick their quarterback. Players play to win. Lovey Smith coached to win for that two-point conversion as well. Uh, and then was out of a job. One thing one would assume that he knew he was out of a job when he already made that choice, which was hilarious. But I want to talk first about the firing of Lovey Smith because um, now you've got two years where the Texans coaches were one and done both black head coaches in a league where coaching diversity has been a problem. Uh, And I think, you know, the point we're kind of like, you have to kind of almost like thread a needle when getting at this. Cause the point 
is not that David Culley, who was the previous head coach and like won way more games than he had any right to, or Lovey Smith, which was a strange decision coaching hire, frankly. The point is not that those guys were, you know, are, should be head, desirable head coaches in the NFL. The point is that they were both clearly hired as placeholders. And I think that is why the Texans are so deserving of all the criticism they're getting this week. Um, because, you know, they, it's, not it's not like, oh, you screwed over these two coaches in firing them. It's that you screwed over them in, inten in hiring them with no intention of giving them a shot. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> it just it felt like they just trying to get their numbers up. It's like you know what we're gonna be bad these next couple of years. Let's right. let's add some black coaches to our our resume so that when we hire a a coach that we believe in who is undoubtedly gonna be white, that we can look back on our tenure and be like, hey, we're not one of those bad teams because remember we had three black coaches. Uh, and not to mention, we're not going to we're going to call some of the fact that we hired two of them back to back years. They both overachieved and we fired both of them. But I think to the point of hiring people for different jobs. If the job was to come and be a placeholder, then communicating that with the coach and understanding that this is what role we want you to play like. The racial dynamics in this aside, which is impossible to put aside, but I think for anybody, if you are in this kind of rebuild mode, yeah, I'm trying to, I, I did my best. I can't, I can't cook up some way to make this like seem palatable. That's a thing to do to anybody. Even if you explain it to them, like, yeah, we don't want you to be the long-term answer. Like that seems to be like, the way to do it is we want to see what you have. Maybe we know that you're in a tough situation. Maybe you can hold on to this job is like a reasonable right. way to go about it. But it seemed like at no point. It's it the contrast, though, between this team and so many teams throughout recent NFL history with interim coaches and, and guys getting one year shots. What, you know, Vance Joseph, Steve Wilkes come to mind recently. Um, it's the contrast between that approach of saying, okay, we need a placeholder. Here's this guy. He's going to be gone a year. And then Carolina, which gave Matt Rule, who had zero NFL experience, a six gigantic contract. Cliff Kingsbury getting a massive contract based on very little NFL success. That's the problem. It's the contrast. And Dan Campbell got a monster contract too, I think. Uh, yeah. And like Dan Campbell, you know, we didn't know he would be good and he's been good. And like that, that's not really, it's not, we're not really talking about that, I guess that's what the point I was trying to make. It's not about the individual coaches necessarily. It's about the contrast, the, the, the trend lines, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and he got him on the way out. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. so funny. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> that's one of the funniest. And that was a moment that like, I don't think is overstating his decision to win that game. The fact that that is going to change NFL history. Because now, you know, we're going to talk about this. Obviously, the Chicago Bears have the number one overall pick. That pick is for sale. We'll see what happens. But it creates an entire market for it now. Bryce Young could be the quarterback of any team next year. So could CJ Stroud. So that's we're going to look back on that that two-point conversion and that Hail Mary is like one of those like sliding doors moments in the NFL. Jeff Saturday. 
civil rights pioneer. <laughs> that, because they won on a Hail Mary. Like, I mean, cool. that was unlike, not one on a Hail Mary, but like that, that was the most unlikely play. Like going for two in a game where neither team is going to make the playoffs, like that's the obvious decision. No one in that, in their right mind is going to be like, hey, let's click the extra point and go to overtime. But the Hail Mary, that was the real hard part. And Jeff pulled that off. Colts fans, Jeff, you should be a, Jeff did you so many solids. He put you in a position to draft a quarterback, and he took your division competitor out of the number one spot. Hold on. Take this. Take this for my Jeff Saturday spin. As Jeff came in, and he whooped the Vikings. Or first they beat the Raiders, and then he whooped the Vikings to show you that he can win. And then he's like, all right, now you know what? Now let's work on this pick, guys. Let's throw this Vikings game. Let's throw the rest of these games. Let's work on this pick. That's called coaching. Extend that man. Uh, one last question about these uh, uh, these seats. Which do you think is so? So just to is the most desirable. So just to remind people: Texans, Cardinals, Colts, Broncos, Panthers. I don't think um, the Saints and the Bucks are going to fire their head coach, but they might. So the, I would throw out those two teams as possibilities. Sounds like the Cowboys won't. I don't think the Chargers will. And then there's the Rams because there's all these ongoing yeah. rumors about Sean McVay leaving. Um, so I'll throw the Rams in there too because I, I don't know. That feels more likely than not right now. So yeah. Panthers, Broncos, Cardinals, Texans, Colts, Rams. If you were D'Amico Ryans, which job would you take? <sighs> I mean, I guess it depends on the contract and expectations. Just roster. Just, yeah, just, just, I mean, just, just roster. I think Broncos have the best roster. Uh, of those teams, they but do. Do you want to? Are you, you? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know I don't want to go there with their <laughs> dearth of draft picks and their overpaid quarterback right now. No, I don't want that. Nice the rest of those game. things. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe I would be attracted to uh, Indy because the there's hope in that division and. There's a, a blank enough slate that I think that you would get a, a longer timeline to build something. I think some of those other options, the Cardinals, they've already paid their quarterback, so you're gonna have to make it soon. You have to make it happen soon. You're not gonna get six years. I think Indy might be smart enough to recognize that they're in a similar position as the um, Panthers were and as the Lions were and they're going to need to pay somebody and give them six or seven years. I like the Panthers' job, which, by the yeah. way, Steve Wilkes, again, overperformed yet again expectations with, like, trade away Christian McCaffrey, starting Sam Darnold, they're winning yeah. games. He absolutely deserved And it seems like the players really are behind him over there. That's um, another division that, that is... That, um, that's <laughs> why I, be, I like yeah. the Panthers, because I think that division is wide open, um, and I really like that roster. Like, I like what they did with the offensive lines coming around. We've talked about a lot of young talent on that defense. They just need a quarterback. And I have to think, given how aggressive they've been about pursuing quarterback in the past, they're going to be aggressive this year, hopefully making better choices. But I think that's a good job. So that's the best one to me. All right. There's going to be a lot more coming down the pike on this, but... It begins. The coaching carousel begins. All right, let's take a quick break, come back, and talk about some football.
With Caesars Sportsbook and Casino, every bet earns with Caesars Rewards. That means whether you win or lose, you're always earning towards perks like free stays at iconic Caesars properties, game tickets, dining, and more. And if you haven't started yet, here's a reminder. Your first bet is on Caesars up to $1,250. Download the app with promo code OMAHAFULL and place your first bet. If you win, congrats. If you don't, you'll get it all back as a free bet. Must be 21 or older, offer valid, and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wager only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bet credit $1,250. Must be used within 14 days of receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. No when to stop before you start gambling problem arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP colorado wyoming kansas affiliated with kansas crossing casino call 1-800-522-4700 indiana call 1-800-9-WITH-IT iowa call 1-800-BETS-OFF louisiana call 1-877-770-STOP licensed through horseshoe Bossier city and harris new orleans michigan call 1-800-270-7117 illinois maryland new jersey tennessee virginia west virginia pennsylvania affiliated with harris philadelphia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537, or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK, or text HOPE-NEW-YORK, 467-369. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, we're back. Winners and woofs. We're still calling them woofs. That's the thing that's still I remembered to do it this time. <laughs> okay, I thought we stopped. I don't like calling people losers. Okay, that's fair. Um... I'll start with a winner. I have your Kansas City Chiefs. Got the one seed, got the bye. 
put up maybe one of the most disrespectful offensive performances <laughs> I've seen. Um, I, I want to actually talk about them, though, for another week. Well, first of all, I, I, I think they're my Super Bowl pick. I feel like, you know, the, this offense was the best offense coming in the season, the best offense in the middle of the season, the best offense at the end of the season. They are diverse. They can beat you so many different kinds of ways. They can run the ball really well. Patrick Mahomes is playing quarterback at an extraordinarily high level. The reason, though, I want to put them as a winner, aside from getting the bye, is I, I, I do think that this defense has made some pretty significant improvements down the stretch. Uh, that's actually what really jumped out to me in week 18, Dominique. It wasn't the offense, you know, stunning on Las Vegas, um, but it was that pass rush. I mean, Chris Jones yep. taking over the game, but like you have guys like, and I've talked about this being a weakness in the past. I think George Karloftis has, who was their first round draft pick, who's the defensive end, has been much more disruptive as the weeks have gone by, um, stout against the run as well. And I think they're figuring some things out in coverage. Um, I don't think they're, you know, one of the better defenses in the NFL or anything like that, but I watched them and I thought, okay, they look good enough. And I think that's all they need. Yeah. They don't have to be one of the better defenses in the NFL. They have to make some plays here or there. They got to make some, some key plays. And I think, uh, no one wants to say they have a bend, but don't break defense. But I think that's a reasonable thing to have when you have, uh, Patrick Mahomes. If I were headed into these playoffs, I would be. As focused as Andy Reid is on offensive production in the red zone, that's how focused I would be on uh, defense in the red zone. Because their teams are going to get to the red zone on them. They can't give up big, long touchdowns. Get to the red zone, it's really hard to score down there. And get really good at forcing people to kick field goals. Because Patrick Mahomes, and teams are going to go for it. And you're going to stop them yes. every now and then. Always. And it's yeah. like, that's that's what I'd be, I'd be locked in on all of that stuff, and to the degree that I may not even be game planning for the middle of the field. Like, we're just going to run vanilla stuff and and then try to win in the red zone. And also, like, on third down situations, like, I'd, I'd take some chances because you want to turn – or I wouldn't try to – I wouldn't compromise my defense. But if I'm looking at – to the point of uh, Chris Jones, the way he's playing right now, like, I don't care about stopping the run. Like, if you get a play action, Chris, go ahead and and run through. Like, assume that it's not going to be a run. If they get eight yards on a run, so be it. But if you sack them, we're getting the ball back, and Patty is going to score for us. Especially when you're looking at their two primary competitors in AFC, the Bills and the Bengals, both of whom have some pretty significant weaknesses in the offensive line. Actually, both teams, I think, kind of in the same spots. And now the Bengals, you saw with Alex Kappa, as their starting right guard being hurt. Suddenly, the entire right side of that line is an issue. Um, both teams, too, that I don't think are like particularly good rushing teams. Quietly, the Bengals really struggled to run the ball on the stretch at the end of the season. Bills ran it better, but that's obviously still not their strength. So, yeah, I think if you're the Chiefs, it really comes down to, you know, making some plays through the pass rush and being opportunistic on the back end, which is kind of their calling card. I thought the safeties played really well in you know, the last game of the season, yeah. Thornhill and Reed and... Um, you know, you can get them. Yeah. <laughs> they can get got. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, yeah, but your your defense is going to get got, too, by Patrick Mahomes. Are you going to get them more times than he's going to get you? And uh, the chances are probably not. And the biggest reason why, I mean, the AFC is hard as hell. But their path 
is as easy as it's, yes. as it's going to get, given how they're just going to have to play either the Bengals or the Bills uh, eventually. And Dude, I would much rather play the Bills if I was the Chiefs, just because I think the way to play the Chiefs is to play man, and the Bills don't do that. The Bills cornerback opposite um, Travis White is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And the Bengals, like Lou Anarimu just seems to have Kansas City's number. I mean, at this point, you'd say, well, okay, how many times, right? Like, can they? But I, I, I don't think it's just scheme. I also just think that they have, like, the personnel to match up pretty well with them. I, you know, I'm not saying I wouldn't pick Kansas City, but I'm just saying in terms of matchups, if I was the Chiefs, I'd want to avoid them. And how outrageous is it that they've lost to – they? The Chiefs lost to both the yeah. Bengals and the Bills this season. Um, lost to the Bengals last year. Could have lost to the Bills last year, and we still are completely confident <laughs> in them. <laughs> like they're still going to beat these teams that that are like frankly better than them in some ways. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I mean, maybe it's false confidence. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should be questioning it more, but. They did ring around the rosy in week 18. How do you feel about, like, I feel like that was something where they it, they were like, okay, it would be too stupid to do this in the playoffs, but. Yeah, we got to get it out. We got to get it out there. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, like at the end of the year when you are just trying, like you're doing all your expense reports or you're just trying to like get stuff in under the bell. I feel like they're like, come on, we got to get it at some point. <laughs> National audience, you know? People were like upset about it. I, I was not. Like I didn't find it disrespectful in any way. It's like, I don't know. I, I, what, I'm, I'm what, with it. It's fun. You know what struck me about that? And we can move on after this. And this is another part of the reason why the Chiefs are so terrifying. So they run that play. It's a direct snap. McKinnon pitches it back to Mahomes, who gets it to Tony, who <laughs> the Raiders actually covered up pretty yeah. well. He makes a guy miss because he's insane. And then on the next play, they go back to Tony, who again makes guys miss. And I was thinking, damn, like, you don't, like, he, he, I, you know what I actually flashed me back to in the moment? Tyreek Hill getting the ball in the flat and getting stopped by the Bengals on oh, the goal line. Do you remember that that I remember moment? that. That was that was the beginning of the of the end for them last season. Yeah. But I was thinking like Tony has this I'm not saying he's better than Tyreek Hill, guys. I obviously don't believe that. But he has this like insane elusiveness that's such a weapon in the flat like when things are covered up in the flats. He, and also he had to have been tired then to go back and like, you know, get another play and like he is just such a unique player, and he's a little bit boomer bust. I understand that, but like when he booms, what a nightmare for defenses the su- he is. The suddenness that he moves with yeah. is is um, impressive and fun. <laughs> excuse me, and terrifying on the other side of the ball. The idea that that um, you can just give it to him in a one on one situation, it feels like he's a he's a gang tap tackle type of guy. One guy's yeah. not going to stay in front of him and. That's just another problem that you have to account for when you're playing against the Chiefs. Especially since defenses will probably play more shell coverage against them. You know, as the, in the playoffs, you have to think that Cincinnati will take that approach. So his ability to get yards after the catch is pretty paramount, especially if uh, Travis Kelsey's covered up. All right, who is your first woof or your only woof? And then we'll do your winner at the end. 
Uh, Wolf of the Jets. I mean, the remember like midseason when we all were like, oh, the Jets they were are seven really and good. three. <laughs> yeah, the Jets are on a the run. They're gonna if they can figure this quarterback situation out. And Mike White, oh yeah, Mike White's the answer. They won. I guess pre Mike White, they went to Lambeau and won back when that was the thing that the Lions didn't also do. And we were really high on him. Sauce was wearing cheese heads. He's still freaking incredible. But just to go from where they were to where they are now, where there doesn't feel like a ton, like they still have a ton of talent. They still have Garrett Wilson, who's great. Sauce, who's great. Young guys on rookie deals who are going to be great for a long time for them. Uh, Quentin Williams, like this is a team that's going to be good. But the big question mark is still going to be there. And I think... You combine that big question mark with the way that they ended the season, and it feels like a wolf to me. You know how woofy it is? At the, when the season ended, I think I, I put out a tweet that was like, hey, Jets fans, like, silver linings, your roster's really good, all you need is a quarterback. And Jets fans were like, even if we want one, we're not going to get him. <laughs> they hate Mike Wolf. Fleur and our coaching staff and our GM and we're so screwed. I was like, damn, the vibes are bad. Like, it was actually like the lack of belief seemingly in yeah. it's it, and it's <sighs> it's a sad fan base. It's a, it's a defeated fan base that like even when they were doing well, I uh, hearing from them, it's like it's very different than than the other team in this in this city's vibes. Yeah, right. Um, we'll talk about them. Um, spoiler. But yeah, it's... I guess that what I was trying to say was like, what, but you know what you got to do. There's no confusion. This isn't like... Yeah. I don't know. I guess a lot of teams know they need a quarterback this offseason, which is going to make it kind of insane. But do you they know, need a coordinator too? Is, uh, that's, what do you a think? lot of them yeah. are pretty... Dis- I mean, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like yeah. the quarterback play was so bad. I don't really know what he's supposed <laughs> to do. But um, I think the question, though, for Jets, for the Jets, is do you... Like, what are the resources you're willing to expend to get a quarterback? Um, because they don't pick high in the draft. And which quarterback, Right. So there's kind of two ways this could go. There's the draft, and then there's the free agency trade market. I think this is the, a team that's prime for the latter category, um, part because there's just too many teams picking ahead of them that need quarterbacks, but also because this is a win-now roster. This is a roster that should be in the playoffs, that if they had competent quarterback play, would be in the playoffs instead of Miami. So you are looking around the league at like a Derek Carr Jimmy Garoppolo as a free agent. And then, you know, bigger dreams would be like Tom Brady or Lamar Jackson. And I guess for Jets fans, there's skepticism that, like, they're they're probably, they saw Derek Carr play the season, and they're like, really, Derek Carr? That's the best we can do. But honestly, guys, you would be in the playoffs with Derek Carr. I say that with, like, 100% confidence. So, you know. that, 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 um. I often think about when uh, the Super Bowl that the most recent Super Bowl that the um, Broncos won is we often talk about how important it is to have a quarterback on a rookie deal. And I think having a future Hall of Famer on a rookie deal is just as valuable. And that was a big reason why 
Um, the Bronco, or not a big reason, the reason, frankly, the Broncos won the Super Bowl when Peyton Manning was a shell of himself, and that defense was incredible. They had Vaughn Miller on a rookie deal, and he's a game changer, and you can do things around that. And so the idea that they have a couple game changers on rookie deals right now, and, yeah. and, and Garrett and, and Sauce, uh, that's y'all got a window right now that whatever you got to trade away, whatever contracts you got to sign, it's okay. You better yes. go and lean in on it because when you start paying them, which you should, it's going to be real hard. Uh, that's going to be the point where you need to, to have a quarterback on a rookie deal to make up for the fact that you're paying these guys. Oh, th- I mean, they, I think they should offer the Godfather deal for Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I don't know if the Ravens will take it. This is going to be obviously the story of the offseason. But the guy, Deshaun Watson contract that he wants and those that, yeah. the trade, the Jets should absolutely do that. I also think, you know, throw whatever you can at Tom Brady. And who knows what will go into that decision. If I'm Brady, I'd rather play for the Jets than the Raiders, though, which is another team he's been linked to. Yeah. Um, so there are some options for them. They just need to be deeply aggressive because this is like the most important just off season like in quite some time so all right that was your woof uh my woof is sort of similar in some ways the green bay packers just uh such a disappointing end to the season and i think a lot of questions headed into this off season um starting with the quarterback position you know aaron Rodgers says at the end of the season he's gonna take some time (laughs) don't laugh at aaron um okay I think he's going to come back. So Yeah, I think so too. So starting from there, like I guess this is what I wanted to ask you because if he comes back, how good are they? Yeah. You know, um, I the the wild thing is uh to me when we think about this team is looking back on Aaron Rodgers this entire season, he was more the problem than any of the other things that we tried to blame is the young receivers. By the end of the year, they weren't the problem. The defense, by the end of the year, they weren't the problem. But you know who hadn't really played all that well in this run of wins that they had and played really poorly in that loss? It's Aaron Rodgers. So I don't know why they can't time it up where they all can do the same thing well. Because, like, Christian Watson had 100 yards in a game when Aaron Rodgers played poorly. He's he's a – I think – He's the number one receiver. Like, he plays like a number one receiver at times. To be able to do it over the course of an entire season, then I can put him up there in that conversation. But he's a guy that you have to game plan for, which I think is what you're looking for. He's a guy that you're not just going to walk out there and say, anybody, cover him. You're going to find out where he is and game plan for him, which I think is what they need. They have that. Um, Their offensive line, I honestly anticipated that their offensive line was bad because of Bakhtiari in and out. And also because Aaron Rodgers was struggling. I was like, they probably not protect him. Their offensive line was good all year long. And so I guess you could spin it as a positive. It was like if the only thing you have to worry about is can Aaron Rodgers play good enough to win, then you're in good shape. But it's a real worry. He didn't throw for 300 yards this whole season and not in their game. Yeah. That's mind-blowing to me. You know what really got me about the final game, I guess, is just he wasn't moving. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't – maybe he completed like one pass outside the pocket. 
he didn't he was very ineffective when he was pressured which wasn't like a ton in that game but like when he was pressured and I think that's what I would be so concerned about as a Packers fan next season because Rodgers has always been like really good at everything but a lot of what made him special as a quarterback is he is a playmaker you know and if he's not moving, if he's not creating, it's which is funny because I think when they were winning games, there were actually some points where you saw him using his legs more. And when he uses his, when he did, like good things would happen. But um, it's that that sort of lack of mobility and that you know the sort of second reaction playmaking that was so he was so good at for so long. If that's gone, it's not like a Russell Wilson thing because there's still like a competent offense. They're just not explosive enough. Yeah. I think that's ultimately like what killed them against Detroit. It's just like that lack of explosion. I mean, Jared Goff made the big throw instead. Yeah, and is that a mindset or is that a loss of athleticism? I find it hard to believe that he lost that all of that athleticism in one off season. So I think it's like an approach to the game or or something. And because we did see it. In a couple of these recent games, yeah. I saw him do it like once or twice. So, yeah, I, I don't know. You need you need those big plays and you need that off script and stuff. Like that's what we talk about in this modern NFL is like what separates most of these like perennial contenders from everybody else is they got those quarterbacks that it doesn't matter. And like even Joe Burrow, who we talked about. I was about, just thinking about that. Joe Burrow yeah. is so creative. Like, yeah, we, we don't, he doesn't have the athleticism or the crazy arm talent that some of these other top quarterbacks have, but he still like does creative things to make plays when they need it outside of structure. And Aaron's going to have to do that again. It almost feels like you need a quarterback that the defense has to at least account for in man coverage. And Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes some of their most punishing runs are like seven yard gains for first down when a defense is in like cover two man. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just, you, and if you're not, if you don't have a quarterback who's willing to do that part, doesn't have to be, you know, like Justin Fields out there. Um, it is very limiting and it certainly makes things easier on the life of defensive coordinators. And yeah, I think um, that's a big question mark for Rogers and um just a brutal end to the season for Packers fans, man. Like I, you know, uh, being being able to win and not coming up or coming up short in that moment sucks. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's finish with a winner. Giants. I'll stay in the city of New York, which is where I am right now. I think that they are one of very few teams, which I guess I would include your Seahawks in this conversation, of uh, teams that it don't matter what happens going forward. The only reason why I chose the Giants over the Seahawks, because they both had like surprisingly successful seasons, is because I think the Giants actually have a chance to advance. They're matching up with uh, yeah. the Vikings and looking at potential upsets. That's one. If they can figure out what to do with Justin Jefferson, uh, I think they're 
that that Vikings defense is one that stresses me out on a regular basis when I watch them and like the missed assignments, the missed tackles, the, all the issues are uh, suggest that even this very limited Giants offense can score some points. If they can slow down Justin Jefferson, they could win this game. Can I ask you a question? Okay, so I'm totally in agreement with you, and I'm, this game for me is going to come down to the wire, as it should, because the last time these two teams played, it came down to a very long Greg Joseph uh, field goal. It's great. Or no, is Daniel Carlson, who's the Vikings kicker? I'm forgetting now. Uh, I don't know. I don't do kickers. Is I mean I know a couple of them. Our Carlson used to be the. If it ain't, if it ain't, uh, anyways, if it ain't tuck, point, I don't care. Point is, it came down to a field goal. Um, so I, I, this game is going to be really, really interesting. And I kind of think both offenses have a little bit of an edge over both defenses in certain ways. Although Giants pass rush against that Vikings offensive line, mm, no, there's an issue there. I think. The Vikings can also cause some issues up front. But let me ask you this. Daniel Jones has been really good this season. Mm-hmm. I outperformed expectations. Probably the best thing he's done is taking care of the football. And um, he's been put in, a, I think, pretty good positions. You know, He's not really pushing the ball downfield that much. Reads are there, pretty simple. Does it seem to you, however, <laughs> like... We've gone through 18 weeks and defenses still don't account for him as a runner. Am I crazy? <laughs> I, I don't, I, I feel like I'm taking, sometimes when I watch this Giants team, I'm like, yo, that's zone read. Like he's going to keep it. What are we yeah. doing out here? Like I, I is- like where's the scraping? Stri- I, I, I just feel yeah. like sometimes I, I don't know. I feel, tell me I'm wrong. I'm with you. No, you're not wrong. It's surprising that they don't line up against the Giants the same way uh, some teams do against Lamar Jackson, where it's like, look, we know you're capable of throwing the ball, but we're going to make you do it. And they don't do that to Daniel Jones. I don't know why. And even aside from lining up in some more unconventional defenses, they you're right. Like, they just – misread I, it like oh it's no way he's gonna keep it he's i white. swear to god there is no one on like more than any russian quarterback in the nfl that i can remember he's like all right <laughs> <laughs> it is his face too don't just mind looks if like I do, you <laughs> yeah, know <laughs> he does have a don't mind if i do face too it just that's what he, <laughs> i don't get it I, I i wish i had an answer for you other than uh Profiling. Yes, yeah, it's just sneaky, <laughs> sneaky fast. And he's once sneaky fast, always sneaky fast. It's not sneaky. They're not sneaky about <laughs> it's it. It's always sneaky. It's it. You can't unsneak it. No matter how many uh, 25-yard runs he goes on, it's always <laughs> going to be sneaky. I don't know why. I just – it's not always. There are sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll see – spy on him or the linebacker accounting for him but like there's just more than any other quarterback I feel like it's just not accounted for I told you I told you about the time my rookie year when uh we were going to play it was my first career start I think um and we were going to play Byron Leftwich and we installed uh a spy in practice that week and I was like I'm a rookie, and I, like we—I don't think we ever called it in the game, but like we practiced it, and I was like, "The f- are we doing really? We had it in just in case." 
was like, what is going on? I feel like Jameis got that treatment a little bit. Oh. Like, or no, maybe not treatment, but I remember. Yeah. I don't want to call anyone out, but I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some commentators like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like. Uh, nope. Yeah, we had it in. I don't think we called it, but I remember an install that week. Like, <laughs> oh, really? We need a spy? Who's going to spy him? I think we can put a D-tackle uh, in for that spy. Um, I like the Giants' defense. I think yeah. that it's crazy. I mean, the secondary is still totally outmanned, but uh, I do think they've uh, the pass rush has gotten better and better as the season has gone on. And that'll be the other thing I'm curious to see in this game is um, Martindale's approach to the blitz because – you know, there have been spots where he has actually dialed it back, accounting yeah. for the fact that he has an advantage this year with Dexter Lawrence, Thibodeau, Ojolari. Um, But against the last time these two teams played, he blitzed and got punished for it in a couple of big moments. That ultimately is why they lost, which isn't to say it wouldn't have happened if he didn't blitz. And they, and they had some success blitzing as well. They did bring down Kirk Cousins. So that, to me, is one of the more interesting chess matches here. Yeah, we talked about this before the season started. I picked them as, like, my potential surprise team in part because I was like when you have a talent discrepancy on defense this Wink Martindale boomer bust style is the way to go but I've noticed and I'm not sure if the numbers agree with me but in watching them they blitz they aren't nearly as aggressive as I remember him being at the beginning of the season or particularly when he was with the Ravens and it's probably because they don't have the talent in the back end to feel as comfortable to be as aggressive. And also maybe it's because Dexter Lawrence and the D-line is better than than you think. But with um, Justin Jefferson out there, I feel like part of the Wink Martindale, part of the reason why I'd be nervous is it's not a surprise. If it were a surprise, then I'd be more comfortable with it. And if it's not a surprise... I don't expect Kirk Cousins to do any reading. It's like, oh, there's a blitz. Where's JJ? Throw it over there. And just, it's only good things can happen. And so, I don't know if there's some way to get some double team on Justin Jefferson while also, well, they, they did a lot of they, this. Like, they did, yeah, it didn't. Well, I'll tell yeah. you. Yeah, no, I, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, that that's not going to matter when Justin Jefferson is being Justin Jefferson. So, Forget that, but they do a lot of what I noticed more than like the zero blitzes that Wink became kind of famous for is they do a lot of overloads where they end up only sending four people. Yes. But they show them all to one side so they still get a free runner. I've noticed that they've done that a lot more, and I actually, I should just ask someone at ESPN. I was wondering how that's accounted for in our system. Yeah, it's account. I I ran a little um, test to figure it out, Mm. and it's they count it as a blitz, which I was like, that's. So that's why his blitz numbers, if I if uh, if I'm right, I think his blitz numbers are much higher than he's actually he's actually blitzing, sending yeah. more than four. Yeah. So like I think you can use um, next gen to control for how many rushers. Oh, actually, no. no. Interesting. Yeah. I mean the the Vikings are down to their like backup backup center potentially. So <laughs> Dexter Lawrence, I mean, they're going to have to double team him, which should create some one-on-one opportunities for Thibodeau and Ojolari. I ran uh, before these teams played in week, whenever it was, I grabbed uh, Kirk Cousins numbers against the blitz to Jefferson. And it was unbelievable. I think he has like a QBR of like 99 throwing to him. His blitz. <laughs> and the, this was the game too, where you remember the Jefferson touchdown where they bracketed him. Yep. The cornerback had inside leverage and he sort of like, 
looped around him and then went under the bracket. God, I mean, it's it was ridiculous. like just so stupid. Um, okay, He's the Giants special. are winners. Can I ask you one more question before we wrap? I picked. Um, so I I am a voter this year for the AP. Awards. Yeah. Congratulations! Yeah. And I picked Brian Can Dable as my coach of the year. Oh, yeah. You're not. A, you don't believe in a private ballot. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, people ask me anyway. I can't. Yeah. Like you know. Yeah. Um, I like uh, that. Do you think Kevin O'Connell should have gotten some looks? That's still nope. new thing. Okay. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think uh, Kyle Shanahan is a reasonable person. Like. To be right now a a favorite, yeah. amongst most people, coaching good under, players, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he's on his third quarterback, and yes, they they are considered by a lot of people. I'm not sure what the betting odds are, but it's not absurd to think that they should be in a Super Bowl, and that's absurd on your third quarterback. Yeah. And I think a lot of it credit needs to. I mean, it's just a, a good he organization was third for me. I had him third. Yeah, um, and you had O'Connell second. No, Doug Peterson, second. Yeah, Doug Peterson is a good but, one, too. But I, I think, I, I the, think yeah. the the argument against Doug Peterson is um, this is how good the, they were. The bar it's was like, hell. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> and he came into a pretty, yeah, but the yeah, roster was we, never as bad as it seemed. Right, 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 right. It's just I, like, whatever. Yeah, I, I, I will say, like, I do think O'Connell has done a good job, though. Um, you know, I, the Vikings, like, I know we kind of joke a lot about them being lucky and winning these close games. But they also do a lot of things that allow them to win those close games. I think situationally, they're a very good team. They've avoided penalties, which is something we usually attribute to coaches. Um, and I think, like, just to give this roster a little bit of credit, I think it was better than we gave it credit for coming into the season. I mean, guys like Patrick Peterson is having, like, one of the He's best seasons. Awesome. You know, Zadarius Smith, like, they made good moves. And it, it's a team that... I think always had a higher floor than we thought because of the caliber of veterans on the roster. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really like from a coaching standpoint what they've been doing with Justin Jefferson, and like it's hard to do wrong with Justin Jefferson, but finding ways to create. Uh, yeah. He's the one guy that you know people are focusing on yes. when you come in, and he finds ways to put him in advantageous positions. Even though Kirk Cousins is going to throw it to him whether he's open or not, and he's probably going to catch it either way, they still find ways to allow him to get open. The single biggest, I think, reason why the season has gone the way is just Kirk Cousins being like, eh, which is smart. <laughs> All right, Dominique, I always say that when you're on with me. All right, this will work yeah. out. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I will see you next week when we'll have some uh, playoff games to talk about. Ooh. Wow. Wait. Bye.